0: This morning, uh, we're going to talk about fasting for revival. Fasting for revival. If you can take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that the Ark of the Covenant represented the manifest presence of the Lord. Remember in the time of Eli the priest, that the nation was in a spiritual state. Uh, They were backslidden. They they were in one of the worst conditions um, as a nation that they had been in. They were in desperate need of revival. Now what had happened is they had come to view the Ark of the Covenant, which once again represented God's manifested presence. They had come to view that as a good luck charm. And so they carried it out into battle when they went out to face the Philistines. And as they went out to face the Philistines... They were defeated, the ark was captured, and Eli the priest, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed, okay? They were killed. When they come back and they give the news to Eli, Eli, your sons have been killed, and the ark of the covenant has been captured by the Philistines, Eli falls over backwards and breaks his neck, and he dies, at that same time, one of his daughters' daughter-in-laws was pregnant. And, and she, when she hears the news, she goes into premature labor. She, as she's going into labor, she's, she starts to give birth. She gives birth to a son. But in, in, in the midst of giving birth to a son, she, she dies after childbirth. But she named the son Ichabod. She said, because the glory... Of the Lord has departed. Ichabod, for the glory of the Lord is departed. Now, the Philistines grab the the the, take the Ark of the Covenant, and they are that's like a, a prize to them because they understood what it represented for Israel. Because, see, Israel was always telling everybody about how great our God was, how powerful our God was. They they had they had heard and they had seen. Um, and it was told to them the things that had happened in Israel's history, okay? How, how God had delivered them and, and how God had set them free from Egyptian bondage. And they'd heard of how they defeated their enemies uh, n- numerous times. And so whenever the, whenever the Philistines capture the, the Ark of the Covenant, they, they carry that as a treasure, and as a way of mocking the, the Israelites, they t- carry this Ark of the Covenant, and they take it over, and they take it to a town. And in this town, they have this, uh, they have this god called Dagon. And they carry it, and they take it into the temple of Dagon, and they set the Ark of the Covenant before the, this, this idol, Dagon. Well, the next morning when they wake up, Dagon has fallen off of his perch and is laying before the Ark of the Covenant. Well, they think it's just happenstance or chance. And so what do they do? Well, what they do is is they pick it up and they put it back in its place. And then the next morning when they wake up, they find that Dagon is once again fallen over, but this time his his arms and his head has been broken off and scattered, okay, before the Ark of the Covenant. And then from that time on they won't step on the threshold of, of the floor of the door as they go in. Now, whenever this happened, then God afflicted the inhabitants of the city with painful tumors. That's what the Bible says. As a part of their act of of eventually, what happens is they inflict them with painful tumors. The people of the city, um, you know, they say, wait a minute. This, you know, we're being judged by God. And so they say, we want to get rid of. Of we need to get rid of this, this ark. They take it from, the, from that town, the town of Ashdod, and the people demand for it to be removed, and they move it to a town called Gath. And they, once again, in the town of Gath, God's inhabitants, or, or God's uh, hand was against the inhabitants of the city. So they said, "Hey, get rid of this ark." Because once again, they were having these painful tumors. They move it along, and they say, well, let's take it over to Ekron. And when the people of Ekron hear that they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant towards them, they begin to cry out and yell, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to kill us? Because they had heard about what, what God had done. Now, the, these, after seven months of the Ark being in, in the Philistine territory, the people have had enough. They've had, they've had enough. They said, we got to get rid of this. And they call their people together and they say, how can we give this back to the Israelites? We don't want it here. See, they, they, the, the tumors that they had were large hemorrhoids. It was a way of humiliating them. It was a way of embarrassing them. They had these huge tumors. It afflicted them. And they were humiliated by that. Now, here's, here's the principle. And the funny thing is, is, what they do is they say, We got to send this back to the Israelites. We don't want it here. And so they said, I know what we'll do. We'll make gold tumors. And they put them in a box, and, and mice, and evidently, or rats, evidently the, their area had become infested with rats that were eating up their crops, okay? And so, as an offering, thinking, We'll give this back to God. Uh, And we'll try to appease Israel's God. They made these large tumors, five of them, out of shaped like large tumors and made of gold. And they made images made of like rats. And they said, we'll send this back with the Ark of the Covenant. And then this is what we'll do. We'll take two cows who have given birth but have never been under a yoke. And what we'll do is to try to figure out if like God is really, if this is really God or if this is chance what we'll do is we'll take their, their calves and we'll tie their calves up here. We'll yoke them to a yoke of oxen and we'll put them in this way and we'll see which way they go because typically the cow would go back to their calf. Okay? And the, the, in, in essence, the story goes that the, that the calves made a straight beeline for the land of Israel. Okay? Whenever the, they arrived there, they, they come into this town, um, and they arrive along the border at a town called Beth Shemesh. Some of the people there, this was Israelite territory. Some of the people there, they took lightly the presence of God. They took lightly the ark. And some of them began to look into the ark because they were, con- they were, they were commanded not to do that. But they began to look in the ark, and they were struck dead. So they sent the ark to a place called Careth Jerem. Now here's the thing I want you to understand. The presence of the Lord can either bring great blessing or great terror. There are some people, they don't want the presence of God in church. They don't want it. You look at them, you can't understand it. How can you not want God's presence in church? I'll tell you the reason why. Because they're living in disobedience. Because when God's presence shows up, For those who are open to him and and whose hearts are right, his presence brings great joy. To others, his presence brings great terror, great fear. His presence can either bring you great peace or great fear. His presence can bring great reward or his presence to some is going to bring great loss. Now, in 1 Samuel 7, it says it was a long time. It was 20 years in all that the ark remained at kareth Jerem, And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourself to the Lord and serve Him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I win our seed with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed... We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. Now, I want you to understand this God used Samuel and fasting as a means of bringing revival to his people. Revival can be defined as God pouring himself out upon his people, revival can be both corporate and individual. When we think of revival being corporate, we think of God pouring out his spirit upon his church, upon a community, upon a nation. It's as if you can sense his presence in the air. And there's many people who come in and just just are, are blessed because it's a corporate revival. Okay, But I want you to know this. God also does individual revivals. See, you can have your own personal revival. You can be in the midst of the most dry land, and God can open up the heavens and pour out his spirit upon you. You can be in the midst of the most difficult time of your life, and yet in your your prayer closet, in your home, uh, in in your personal relationship with God, it's as if God just opened up the heavens, In the midst of all turmoil and and everything just breaking loose against you, God pours out a personal revival within the hearts of his people. He does that all the time for those who are willing and for those who will seek after him. Acts 3.19 says it this way. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's really what revival is. Revival is God stirring up our hearts and bringing those things that are dead back to life. It's times of refreshing coming from the Lord. Now, a couple thoughts on revival. Revival is not an automatic experience. It's something to be desired and prayed for. It doesn't happen necessarily automatically. The second thing, God is the source of revival. It comes from His presence. And finally, number three, refreshing results are experienced when revival comes. Refreshing results are experienced when revival comes. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you today as far as our notes here, if you're just jotting down some notes, just write down, they had enough. They had enough. There came a point in time in Israel's history, it had been, the, the things I talked talk to you about had, happen, had happened 20 years earlier, okay? Okay? The ark had been, had been, in essence, captured, taken away. It was held in captivity for seven months. Or actually, they, the, the Philistines were afflicted. <laughs> they were afflicted by God's presence for seven months until they gave up and said, get it out of here. Okay? And, and after these seven months, it comes back. Then from that point of time in which the ark showed up, thereupon followed you know, those, those cows on a cart, from that point of time, they set it aside for 20 years. And then it came a place in time when the people had had enough. They grew tired and weary of their situation, and they began to seek the Lord. And that's much like the prodigal son. You know, remember the prodigal son? He kind of got tired of his situation. And he looked around at this pig pen that I'm in, and he, and he was starving. He didn't have anything to eat. He had been humiliated. He had been degraded. He had lost everything. And he said, what am I doing here? My father's servants. I'm here just wanting to eat the garbage that the pigs eat. And my father's servants have enough. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. He came to his senses. And that's what the children of Israel did. There came a certain point in their life where they came to their senses. They said, what am I doing here? And so Samuel sees this, and he notices the change that's taking place in the spiritual climate. And he says to them, okay guys, if you're serious about this, then there's some preparation that needs to take place. He says to them, rid yourself of the idols and the asterisks, and commit yourself to following the Lord. And notice this, when you do that, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Do you see that? He says, you rid yourself of the asterisk. You rid yourself of these detestable idols. And the Lord will will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. The people made a choice that day. And they began to clean their house. And to get rid of things that did not belong there. There's a message for somebody. They began to rid their, their house and get rid of things that didn't belong there. They didn't wait until God came in and miraculously picked up their idol and drug it out of the house. They made a decision and they said, this does not belong here anymore. When the trash man came by that day, when they set out their trash, it was filled with Asherah. Uh, and idols, and all of these ungodly things. They had cleaned their house. They said, this does not belong here. They did not wait till God delivered them. They took a step. So many Christians want to wait until God automatically comes down. I don't know how they expect it to happen. That God's going to come down and and reach in and, and take all of this stuff from us. And yet, they understood that they needed to take a step. And they took this stuff. And they rid their house of these things. They did not yet have the victory, but they took a step that demonstrated their sorrow by removing the idols. Do you see that principle? They did not yet have the victory. Their hearts were not necessarily completely changed. Their circumstances were not necessarily completely changed. But they took the step of humbling themselves and getting rid of these idols that were in their homes and in their lives. Samuel called the people together to pray and to gather corporately. You see, they had a national problem and they needed a national response. And one of the principles that we talked about on Wednesday night is this: depending on the size of your problem or, or the size of the sin is really the the size of the response that we need to that situation. There are some situations where, as a church, where you need to fast as an individual base on an individual basis. There are some situations where you need to fast as a family because this situation and this circumstance affects your family. And it may have to go a little bit further. There may be some friends that you need to call in. And other people who are affected by the situation or the circumstances. There's times as, a, as, as believers when we need to fast as a church. Because it's a corporate need. It's a corporate problem. And there's also times that we need to fast as a nation. Okay? As the body of Christ. Because it's a, a national situation. Samuel just didn't go in his own room and fast by himself. He called the whole nation to gather together. He called all of them together. And he said, we're going to set aside this time to gather together corporately. Now, um, Samuel then pours out water before the Lord, the scripture says. As a symbol of the nation's repentance. Their hearts were being poured out in sorrow for their sins. Then he called the people to fast. Now, fasting was a way of humbling themselves before the Lord. As they begin to fast, God began to open their eyes to their sinfulness. For they cry out, We have sinned against the Lord. Now I want you to understand this. It's a thing. When you're walking in darkness, there's things that you don't see. Okay? I, you know, God didn't create, you know. I, I don't see very well in the dark, okay? It's just, if I, if I want to be able to see clearly, I need to turn on some light, okay? There's a spiritual application there as well. The, the spiritual application is this, that when, when, we're, when we're backslidden, when we have allowed sin or darkness into our lives, there's things that are right before us that we can't see, now, there's no use us yelling at that person because they can't see, okay? There's no use beating up a blind person because they can't see. They can't see because they're blind, okay? And, and when you and I are in, or sometimes when we're in living in disobedience, or we've kind of strayed from the Lord... We've kind of done our own thing. It brings blinders to our eyes. It brings darkness into our life. And there's issues that we can't see. But I'll tell you this. When you begin to start fasting and praying, God flips on some lights. Boom, boom. And it's not like these little, you know, like, you know, sometimes you have them in the closet where they'll put up these, like, you get them for, like, at the dollar store and you can bump them and this little light comes on. I mean, God flips on some heavy duty, light. boom. <clears throat> whenever you hear the the transformers move, okay? When you and I start fasting and start seeking God, he flips on the light and he begins to reveal things that before we were blinded to, that we couldn't see. And that's what he did. He began to turn on the lights in these people's eyes and they begin to see and they begin to cry out, we've sinned against the Lord. God turned on the light. They They were walking in darkness before. They couldn't see it. But when God turns on the light, they're able to see and they cry out, we have sinned against the Lord, the backslider. He's blinded. He can't see. But through prayer and fasting, God began to show the people the depth of their need. Second thing is they began to see. They could see. When, When they started fasting and praying, God opened their eyes. The story does not stop there. Because when your enemy... Sees that you're praying and fasting. When the enemy saw that the Israelites were gathering together, he's going to fight against you. And he's going to resist you. So don't be surprised by that. Do not be surprised that as you set your heart to seek God, don't be surprised that opposition begins to rise up. Don't be surprised that it starts getting a little bit harder for a little while. Don't be surprised that, you know, you gotta, you got to push a little harder, okay? And that's what happened with the, with the Israelites. Verse 7 says, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the leader of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And they said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered them. Did you hear what they said? They said, Samuel, don't stop praying for us. Don't stop interceding for us. Then the last phrase, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. There are some people here today who've been crying out to the Lord. You've been spending a serious period of time. You've been crying out to the Lord. I just want to say to you, Mama, don't stop praying. Grandpa, don't stop praying. Dad, don't stop praying because the Lord is going to answer you. Don't give up now. Now is not the time to step back. Now is not the time to grow weary. Now is not the time to quit. While Samuel, verse 10 says, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. I want you to notice the next three words. But that day, Samuel's offering these burnt offerings to God. The, Isra- or the, the Philistines come up against him. They draw near to engage them in that battle. But that day, friend, but that day was different from all the other days. See, that day was very similar to so many days before. Because many times the Philistines had come and attacked them. Many times the Philistines had come and harassed them. Many times the Philistines had tormented them. Many times the Philistines had abused God's people. But that day, God showed up. God showed up. And listen to the next portion of the verse. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Now, one of the Philistines' gods was a god of thunder. Isn't that something? How God turns the very things that they think are their strengths against them. Hmm? That day... The Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point of beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again throughout, the lifetime, throughout Samuel's lifetime. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. When God showed up, their enemies were defeated. And whenever that happened, Samuel took a stone. And he called it Ebenezer, which which means a stone of help. Every time that people traveled between Mizpah and Shen, there was a stone of remembrance that was set up that reminded the people of God's victory, that reminded the people of God's deliverance, of God's help. Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to put up some stones of remembrance, some places in your life that as you walk along, that you can see and be reminded again, this is where God delivered me. Every time that you pass that way, that you can say, Honey, remember what God did for us. Remember how God helped us. And it's one of those remembrances that every time people rode by or walked by that way, there was a stone that spoke of God being their helper, of God being their deliverance. I was in trouble, and what did I do? I turned and I called upon the Lord, and he delivered me, and he, and he, and he answered me. And that's what, that's what the people did. They had that place of remembrance There's something else I want to point out to you. The scripture says... That... God thundered... And then that the people defeated the Philistines. The Philistines were subdued... And did not invade Israel's territory again... Throughout Samuel's life. In fact... They had to restore the towns that they had taken from Israel. Those things that they had captured. Those things that, had, you know, that they had stolen from Israel. They had to give them back. That's something. I wonder what the spiritual significance of that is in our lives. Now I'll tell you what. We find that whenever Israel, that, that throughout, if you read through the book of Judges, they have this cycle. They seek God. Then their hearts grow cold, and God pours out His Spirit on them. He delivers them, sets them free, blesses them, prospers them, and then they grow at ease. And they would go back into that cycle where they would turn away from the things of God, and then they would go back into bondage again. But the principle here is this as long as they put God first in their lives, as long as they sought Him, what did He do? He poured out His Spirit, brought revival, changed people's lives. And not only that, he broke the, the bondage that was upon them. As we, as we conclude today, I wanted to say this to you. We have this time and season of fasting, and I want you to know that something's going to happen in the Spirit when you and I fast and pray. There's things that are going to take place in the Spirit. But maybe as we're, even as we're speaking here today, there's things in your life. You say, Pastor, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it yet. You will. As you fast and pray, you'll begin to see those things. But maybe we can do like the Israelite did. And what did they do? They went, Samuel said to him, hey, rid yourself of these things. Before you feel it, before you automatically say, oh, my God set me free. What if we would start by ridding ourselves and humbling ourselves of those things that hold us back? Those things that would try to to, to hold us captive. What if we take those things and we'd say, they're going out in the trash. I'm I'm putting those in the... The trash bin whatever that is that attitude that no longer that doesn't belong there that's hindering you i'm going to set that out you know that mindset that's not acceptable to the lord that pride or selfishness or self-centeredness and here's the thing as you fast god's going to begin to show you We, we saw it god will begin to flip on the light and you'll begin to see things in the spirit that you didn't see there before you'll begin to see and what happens we cry out to god lord lord how did this i've sinned against the lord how did this get here but then, then what happens on that day when we've humbled ourselves, when we fasted, when we've turned from our sinful ways? That's the day that God shows up. And that's the day he fights for us. And that's the day victory comes. And as we close today, I just want to just give you that opportunity. We're going to uh, just flip on a CD to this morning. And I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you for this. I want to pray for you for strength to simply do the things that God is asking you to do to prepare yourself for revival, to prepare yourself. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a year? That's a year of miracle, God pouring out his spirit. That's That's a year of miracles. And can I pray for you? That's what I want to pray. I just want to pray that God will do what is necessary in your life so that you can be prepared to receive from him. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the incredible blessing that you bring in our lives. Lord, as as we've set our hearts to seek you, Lord, in our humble attempts to draw near to God, some people have been turning off their TV and just say, God, I just want to be quiet before you. Some people have been giving up their lunchtime meal or their evening meal and they said, instead of this, I'm going to I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to spend this time in prayer. Lord, in these humble, feeble attempts to position ourselves so that we may hear from you, I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, just like Samuel interceded on behalf of the people, you've placed me in this position to intercede on behalf of your people. And I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would give them the power and that you'd open their eyes to see their need. God, that you would open their eyes to see the things, the deliverance that you want to bring. That you would open their eyes to see the glory that you want to pour out in their lives. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you give them the power to rid themselves of the detestable idols, whatever that would be, anything that we've set up before you, oh God. I pray that they would rid themselves of that. And Father, I also ask, In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that we'd have a day. We know the enemy is going to attack. We know that he's going to rise up against us. But I pray on that day that you show up at our homes. I pray on that day you show up in our marriages. And that day, God, I pray that you would show up in our kids' lives. God, I pray on that day that you would show up in our bank account. Lord, I pray on that day that you would show up in our ministry, that we would be anointed with the Spirit and with power. And I pray that those places in the past where the enemy has defeated us would be would be places now where we overcome. In those places where the enemy has stolen from us, Lord, I pray that you'd put us back in that rightful place. Your Word says that we were, we were created to be the head and not the tail. God, restore to us our children, our grandchildren, Lord. Lord, restore to us health and strength. Restore to us pure hearts. Lord, we humble ourselves before you, and I just want to say thanks, God, because I know that you have our backs. I don't have to worry about it. I I do what you ask me to do, and I am assured that you'll do what you have said you would do, Lord. So be glorified today in the name of Jesus.